Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, Dallas Fed Chief Robert Kaplan, just wrapping up a live interview on Bloomberg Radio from Jackson Hole, touching on a number of topics, including the case for removing accommodation. I've been one of the Fed presidents that's been reluctant to speculate on individual meetings because I don't think it's productive, but I do think... The case for removing accommodation is strengthening. Stocks are trading lower. The S&P 500 index down 3 to 2172, a drop there of two-tenths of 1%. Dow Industrials down 33, a decline also of two-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ down 6, a drop of one-tenth of 1%. The 10-year down 4.30 seconds at yield 1.57%. Gold down 370 the ounce to 13.22, a drop of three-tenths of 1%. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate up 1.3%. 47.36 right now on West Texas Intermediate Crude. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox, live from the Jackson Hole Economic Symposium on Bloomberg Radio. This is Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox at Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York, and my colleague and co-host Kathleen Hayes on site in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Joining us now is Thomas Honick. He is vice chairman of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. He was formerly the eighth chief executive of the 10th District Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City, and he served as a voting member of the Federal Open Market Committee, and he joins us now. Mr. Honick, I wonder if you could comment on the banking situation as it relates to capital reserves and whether there is any contradiction between the desire to have banks lend money in a low-interest rate environment on the one hand, but on the other, hold them to higher capital standards, which may indeed prevent them from lending the very money you hope to get into the system. Well, that's a very good question, and thank you for having me on your program. <clears throat> Let me begin by telling you that capital is not a reserve. Capital is lendable funds. And what uh, we're trying to do is make sure that there is enough ownership capital, that is enough ownership funds lending out there that makes the financial system safer. What you do and what the objective is when you uh, allow your capital levels to fall, that is your ownership interest to fall, is you're allowing that ownership to leverage up their position, uh, increasing the risk of the institution. And so should it run into difficulty, it has less margin for error, less margin for mistakes, and that can precipitate uh, a downturn in the economy uh, or it can precipitate a crisis, as we've learned uh, in the last crisis. So capital is a very useful in terms of holding people responsible for the uh, quality of the institution, and I think it has a very positive outcome. Let me also note for you that um, 
Those institutions, there's increasing evidence, a recent study by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, as a matter of fact, that, uh, and also by the BIS, that institutions that have higher capital levels are able to continue to lend during that downturn because they don't have the pressure to keep their capital ratios, that is, the amount of capital they have to assets, uh, to unusually, uh, to, to higher levels, uh, or to the same levels as they increased their losses. And they can hold their customers and keep their customers funded during that period, and that helps mitigate the crisis. So capital is actually a very good thing. Um, and I, uh, I, I, I think to call it a reserve as if you put it aside or something is a mistake. Uh, you, it is lendable funds, are very productive, just like any other form of lendable funds, and we need to keep that in mind. Well, of course, the, and of course, Pim prefaces with the idea, I think, or implicitly, that this makes it makes it harder for banks to lend, and it is a drag on growth. Uh, do you disagree with that? Is oh, it more broadly just too much regulation from Dodd-Frank? I absolutely disagree with that. Uh, capital is um, proven to be let – me, let me just give you an example of where you were wrong. Um, under under a highly leveraged situation where you use risk-based capital and you say, all right, these are low-risk sovereign debt, risk loans and so forth. So you lend to those people because there's no capital requirement there. And loans, uh, who you have to hold more capital against, you say, uh, they go unfunded, although they may be the better return uh, and therefore facilitate growth. And like I said, we've learned over and over again that institutions that are well capitalized usually compete better. They can take on risk uh, more uh, aggressively because they have more capital. They can afford to make the mistake. And therefore, it turns out to be much more supportive. And in fact, the BIS in its studies showed that with higher capital levels, uh, we saw increases in lending, not decreases. So this, this myth that requiring capital is a bad thing is hurting the economy in the long run. It makes it less stable, more susceptible to contagion, because when you have more capital, if one bank fails, it doesn't have to spill over to the next. Uh, those are all things that capital serves a purpose for. And I think it's, uh, like I say, a myth to say that uh, capital uh, undermines growth in the economy. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you can't have borrowing. You shouldn't have leverage. That's very much a part of any economic situation or any economic growth uh Concept, but at the same time, too little capital is destabilizing, and that's what you have to keep in mind. Mr. Honig, well, uh, Tom, I'd like to go ahead, Kathleen. Go ahead, no, 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 please do. I was just going to say if you could comment on what you see as some of the fundamental issues facing the international banking system, particularly banks in Europe. Well, Europe uh, has a couple things going on. They, they first of all tend to have less. Uh, tangible capital than U.S. banks, not a whole lot less, but less capital. And they have more, uh, as I'm, uh, as I read the IMF type reports, they have more legacy, uh, problem assets that they have to continue to deal with. And so that, that's, you know, that's a bad combination. Less capital, more legacy problem assets, and you, it, that, that constricts your ability to lend and to grow, and I think we're seeing some of that effect. Uh, Europe at this point. I think should they uh, uh, continue to weaken their capital uh, in the name of growth, I think they will actually have a perverse effect of actually weakening their growth in the long run. But those are decisions they have to
Uh, I think the United States has gained market share, I'm told, you know, as I read the Financial Times, because we, as a as an industry in this part of the world, are competing from a stronger position, that is, more capital. And I think that served us well, and I think they should perhaps um, look at that and see how that might, in fact, improve their situation with more capital and working through their legacy problem assets. Tom, uh, Italian banks, non-performing loans, uh, many dark clouds hanging over their banks. I can understand how it's maybe uh, it's certainly an issue for Italy, its financial system and economy, mm-hmm. broadly within the euro area and for the ECB on its problem or worry list. Mm-hmm. What about for the United States, though? Is there any kind of financial risk from Europe, Europe's banking problems, which are getting more and more attention, and our financial system and our markets? Well, I think there's always the issue of contagion uh, across continents because they're inter, interlinked, uh, not only with trade, but with financial uh, capital flows and so forth. So we have to be mindful of that. I think the U.S. banks are uh, pretty well positioned to uh, handle some of that uh, more successfully than, say, other countries because we do have a little – not a little, we do have a stronger capital position. I have argued and continue to argue uh, our Capital needs to be stronger yet. Uh, that that would only help us in the long run. Um, but we are better positioned than other countries to withstand. We have less exposure to it, number one. We have stronger capital, number two. And I think those are big advantages over the long run. Mr. Honig, I want to just pick up on this idea of perhaps uh, a relative world. Um, we've had many guests on the program who say that the bond market is currently distorted that because of the relative high yield of U.S. Treasuries, money is flowing into Treasuries for all the wrong reasons. What are your thoughts about distortion in bond interest rates and why bond prices have been going higher and higher? Well, there's many, many elements of distortions. Uh, One of the elements of distortions is unusually low interest rates for eight years. Zero interest rates are not uh, normal under any definition of normal. This causes uh, reallocation of capital, movement of capital. And then you then I, I use the often uh, comparison of if you're grading on a curve, the dollar and uh, the U.S. financial system is relatively stronger. Where do you put your money when you're uncertain? You put it where you have the greatest confidence, and that's in the U.S. still. So those are the things that are affecting us. I want to ask just one final question, Tom, about um, – Bank regulations. This is an election year. There's all kinds of talk, and there's been talk the last few mm-hmm. years. More regulation. You know, put more regulation on. No, no, no. Pull back Glass-Steagall. You're the vice chair of the FDIC. What do you think about what is needed or not needed now? Well, I think that's a very good question. I think, um, number one, that the largest institutions are incredibly large. They are too big to fail. We're not going to solve that, time, uh, that anytime soon. And I think with that environment, you're going to have more regulation. Do we need more, regula- more regulation to what we already have? The answer is no. Uh, we have tons of regulation. One of the things that I'm proposing is for what I refer to as simpler banks, uh, more traditional banks, where you're lending basically and taking deposits and uh, not in the investment banking broker bank, that you really do get some substantial regulatory relief in place around capital, around lending, qualified uh, mortgages and so forth. And we do need to think about how we take some of this burden off the regional and smaller banks uh, as soon as we can. Tom Honig, thank you so very much. We're going to have to come back and continue this conversation. 
Tom Honig is the former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He is the vice chair of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.